Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It was a day filled with stunning upsets in the NCAA tournament. And the Louisiana Raging Cajuns tried their best to pull off one of their own. But ultimately, Bob Arlen's team fell just short as the comeback just didn't happen against the Tennessee Volunteers there in Orlando. Great season, still a great season, even with the disappointing finish to it. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this drizzly Friday morning. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking Astros with our guy James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. We are also going to be talking, of course, New Orleans Pelicans with our old friend Christian Clark from The Advocate and then Ryan Hinton, that's right, that boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast will join us to talk the latest free agent moves in wheelings and dealings of the black and gold. Those are the guests we got lined up today. Of course, joining me inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette is... The producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. Good morning, sir. Late night, but yet here we are with our bells on, ready to go, ready to deliver three hours of tremendous sports talk, and in your case, five hours of tremendous sports talk as you'll be filling in for Kevin Foote on Footnotes yet again today. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? It is... uh, it's 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 morning. Yes. Yeah, sure it, is. It's it's morning. It's morning. I know many Raging Cajun fan is disappointed. I understand that. I, I really do. But maybe I look at things a little bit differently. You got to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. And you mounted a great second half performance against the four seed. Right? This wasn't an 8-9 matchup. Right? This was a 4-13 matchup. Vegas had you as a 10-point dog. And... To overcome, let's be honest, a not-so-great first half. To make a game of it. To rally. To see Kobe Julian give them a spark and just go completely off, scoring, what, 11 points and I don't know how, how long it was. It wasn't that long. 
nothing to hang your head about. And I know Cajun fans disappointed this morning because you, you got so close to getting their first NCAA tournament win since, what, 1990 or 91, something like that. I understand that, but there's nothing to hedge or hang about if you're a member of the Vermilion and White Nation. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think I, I kind of said that to you last night in a text. Like, it, this was everything you could have asked them to do. And, and if the first half would have ended as the, uh, the end of the game, maybe you'd have really been disappointed because they didn't play their best basketball. They didn't play anywhere close to it in the first half. But to come back, I mean, they were, they were in a spot where they could have really let that get out of hand. You know, I mean, they could have they could have let him run him out of the gym, and uh, it looked really him. close for it to get. It looked really close right. that that was going to be uh, kind of taken behind the woodshed kind of game. And you you didn't want to get embarrassed, and you know, on national television and and everything that goes with that, and they didn't. And um, you know, they came back, and Jalen Dalcord and, and Kobe Julian gave him the spark. You know, it was tough, Greg. Like I just feel for Greg because obviously he wasn't himself, and he he tried to play through it. And you know, it was kind of similar to the championship game. He he played in the first half, and you know, he clearly just didn't have it, and they didn't really play him too much in the second. So you certainly feel for him for that to be his last game. But um, you know, those guys went out fighting, and they they went right there. You know, it's one of those if that game's two minutes longer, you you have a feeling they get it because they. They really just kind of figured something out in that second half. And, you know, I understand people think coming here, you know, and, and saying, well, they should have won the game because of how bad Tennessee was offensively and how they turned the ball over and stuff like that. I mean, that's fine to say. I think you have to understand that there's a reason Tennessee is a four seed. Like, and, and you know, I know it's hard to see that from a perspective of you see the ball getting thrown away and you see turnovers being had and you see missed shots, but like, that team is still a top 25, top 30 team in the country for a reason, right? And they force turnovers, and they play swarming defense. And, uh, you know, Rick Barnes' coach teams kind of have their own identity to them. Now, they were certainly beatable, and they're not a great offensive team, and they have some serious issues, and they're going to have their hands full and more against Duke Whoa. tomorrow. Yes, they are. But I think to sit here and say the Cajuns should have won that game because – you know, you gave it away, you turned it over. That's fair, but, like, those things happen because of how good and how athletic Tennessee is on the defensive side. So I think that's something to remember. Again, if the Cajuns hit some shots in the first half and, you know, a couple of things go their way, then, yeah, they, they would have won the game. So that I understand saying that, but I think it's not as simple as the Cajuns gave it away and they didn't play well enough on offense. Like, that's Tennessee has a lot to do with that. And Tennessee's brand of basketball. Right, they pride themselves on being a defensive-minded team, and they got big fellas down low, which that plays a role on how you can do against them. I, I, you know, during the season we talked about how Bob Marlin's teams would have really great first halves, but the second half was always a problem. Some of those losses they had. They let those games get away from them, couldn't close the door, and lost because they played poorly in the second half, in particular the last four to five minutes of the game. We saw that flip, didn't we? Really, for me, that Friday night against South Alabama in the regular season finale, and then they played very good second half of basketball in Pensacola. 
in particular against South Alabama again in the championship game. They did it again last night. So it's one thing to go, well, you know, they didn't play their best, but credit Bob Marlin and the guys on the court for making the adjustments that they did. I mean, that came down to, hey, this isn't working for us. We got to figure something out. They did. They executed their game plan in the second half, and they nearly pulled pulled off the comeback. We don't see that all the time, and look, credit to them for being able to do that. That's one. And look, it sucks for Greg, right? Because we knew that he wasn't going to be 100% when we found out that he had to be taken out of the championship game against South Alabama for turf toe. And turf toe's not something that you can just take a shot for and be good to go. Right? It takes rest. It takes time off the foot. Well, how can you how can you prepare to play a basketball game if you have to give your foot rest? You can't. And unfortunately, his career comes to an end for injuries. What did you think the turning point was in the first half? Because I know that they came out, look, they came out strong, Tennessee did. What they were up like 11 to 5, they do believe it was, to start the game. So they kind of established themselves early. What in that first half, you know, you were like, oh. Well, it was a game of runs. And, you know, it wasn't really one of those back and forth. It was runs. And, and the Cajuns went on an 8-0 run to make it 19-all. Um, and then at that point, Tennessee finishes the half on an 11-0 run and goes up 30-19 to at the half. And what happened in that stretch, I think, you know, turnovers were a problem. Look, and, and Themis – it's 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 tough to to sit here and criticize what he did because he also set up most of your offense. He had 11 assists on the night. So he but he does and that's been an issue with him all year, right? He has questionable turnovers in his passing and his decision making at times is just I think he tries to do much to do too much in certain situations. I felt like they were just pretty stagnant offensively at some points. They were getting the ball into Jordan Brown occasionally, but they weren't moving. They are just standing around, basically, and trying to wait for Jordan to do something with the ball. And So I think that caused some issues. Like Defensively, I, I, they played great the entire game on defense. I mean, you gave up less than 60 points to uh, you know an, an SEC basketball team. And I thought the you – know, you talk about the coaching situations in this. I thought Bob Marlin defensively and this whole staff had an, an outstanding game plan. They took Santiago Vescovi completely out of the game, by the way. Yeah. I mean, he did not do anything. And he's Tennessee's best scorer by far. We said that. And he was not a factor. Uh, he got into foul trouble early as well. But even when he was in the game, I mean, they were all over him. They swarmed him. They had a plan for him. Um, I thought they just played really well, you know, all things considered, in, in every defensive category. There wasn't anything that Tennessee kept exploiting. You know, they, they got baskets here and there, but. You know, I think the turning point was just the lack of, of consistent offense. And, and they didn't get enough from their guards. And that and I'm not, I don't want to single them out because Tennessee did a very nice job defending Jordan Brown. And he had 16 points and seven rebounds. But you had two of your starting five get you zero. Yeah. And, and look, you know, and, and I know Greg had to be taken out of the game, but. Kentrell got you nothing offensively, which his offensive game has been struggling. This is not a NCAA tournament thing, right? We, we've been talking about his offensive game being off for a little while now. Greg's hurt. 
but you got nothing out of Garnett. You got nothing out of Williams. Kobe gives you a huge spark off the off the bench. Dalcourt gives you a big, you know, spark off the bench as well as he scores double digit points. But you got nothing from Joe Charles, even though he's a defensive guy. You got nothing. So in a tight game against a team with maybe better uh, better players, right? You needed everyone to kind of chip in and help out, especially with Greg being limited and having to come out the game. They didn't have enough of that, and they still nearly pulled off the comeback. But you didn't get what you needed out of Themis. He only got you five points. So we talked about, you know, we focused so much on the big guys, how they were going to defend Jordan, but credit Tennessee for making the even the shot selection. The, the Cajuns, especially in the first half, never felt comfortable to me offensively. Like they never got settled in, if you will. And yeah. You, and you have to credit Tennessee for that. You do. And, and you know, I, I thought Demas was a little passive offensively. I thought he could have gotten his shot a little bit more. And, you know, we, we talked about how he came out and took two threes against South Alabama because they dared him to, and he made them both. It wasn't the same situation. They didn't dare him to, but felt like he had a couple of chances. You did miss a couple of easy looks in that first half, too. And I think nerves had played a factor in that. Terrence Lewis missed a couple of floaters that he never misses, you know. And, Correct. And, and the way they defended Jordan was interesting. Jordan still had a pretty good game. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I – it's tough to say, and I don't blame Bob Marlin at all for the way they did it with Greg. Um, and, I, and I don't doubt that, you know, I don't know. Greg looked – it didn't look like he was hobbled by the injury. It just looked like he didn't have that extra little burst that he needed. He couldn't do what he wanted. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, yep. you, you, you kind of feel like you probably would have been better if you would just went with Dalcourt and Julian at that spot all game and just not played Greg at all but I understand I look and I don't fault them for that he's this is he's a leader of this team and this was his potentially last game so I don't I don't fault them for giving him every opportunity to give it a go um, but that was a that was an issue right because that's you needed something out of that Jordan was trying and then look here the other thing that happened in this game is the officials didn't call much you know to be honest with you they didn't call much and that's okay. It wasn't. I didn't think they were, you know, egregious for either side. I thought they missed calls on both ends, and not necessarily missed calls. Chose not to call the game tightly, which in some ways you'd think would help the Cajuns because the foul trouble situation with Brown. You know, now he still didn't get in a little bit of foul trouble, but he was able to manage it. But they were grabbing and holding Brown a lot, and some of those turnovers were direct causes of that. Mm-hmm. And I think when Tennessee, who's already a physical grinded out defensive team is allowed to kind of hold on you and beat and bang on you inside a little bit the way they did to Jordan and you don't get those calls you don't go to the free throw line often I don't think that helped the Cajuns lack of offense because if they start calling a few of those and Tennessee has to back off of their aggression a little bit I think you see some things open up and maybe it's a different story that wasn't that wasn't ideal for the Cajuns they let them play a far more physical game than I anticipated yeah, the biggest there was one big blown call, and that was a Jordan Brown got elbowed in the in the chest or or in the throat, and then they ended up calling. I think Brown gets kind of a frustration foul there on the other end for shoving the you know for shoving him afterwards, which it wasn't really. They reviewed it for flagrant, and it wasn't a flagrant, so they couldn't call anything. But that was a big turning point, I thought, because Brown picked up. I think that was his third foul, 
and he he got elbowed right in the throat. And he should have been, you know, the ball should have been going the other way. It should have been an offensive foul. So that was uh, that was difficult. But you know, other than that, I, I don't think there's too too much there. But yeah, they they just let him play, and that was um, on this night kind of detrimental to what the Cajuns wanted to, wanted to do offensively. Cajuns fall short, fifty eight to fifty five in the first round of the NCAA men's tournament as they fall to the four seed, the Tennessee Volunteers. Still great season, 26 wins, conference tournament championship, and get to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. We'll hear from the Cajuns themselves coming up next, right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tennessee is very physical, and in the first half, we were right where we needed to be. We missed a couple of shots we normally make, Terrence Lewis, and they blocked some shots too. They did a really good job there. I believe the score is 19 apiece, and then we let them go on an 11-0 run in the half, so our guys were very frustrated at halftime, and we had to pick them up a little bit. We didn't make a three in the first half. Uh, we've got two really good three-point shooters in Garnett and Williams. And uh, they didn't make any tonight. But came out the second half. We fought. We, we were down. I don't even know how many we were down with 13 or 10 to go. But I know with five to go, it was a two-possession game. And I was really proud of our guys for coming back, making some shots. And these two guys sitting here beside me, really happy for them. And I'm glad that they played tonight on a big stage because they're, they're the, the, that kind of player. Once again, nothing to hang your head about. And to think where this program was a few years ago, where it kind of had gotten stale, I think that's a fair statement. They dealt with some injuries and things that got, got stale. To see this group and where it's progressed to semifinals of the conference tournament coming out of the pandemic where Kobe gets healthy and helps him go on that run to the semifinals in Pensacola to last year struggling throughout the season somewhat with injuries and just team just didn't really gel until they made a run to the conference tournament championship game. And then to see them this year, embrace it and say, hey, we're good to go and add a couple pieces like Terrence Lewis II and Themis folks. Theo and other guys left. You know, Theo left this last year, two years ago with Cedric Russell going to Ohio State, Malik going to Texas Tech. That didn't work out well for Malik. But that's a discussion for another day. To see this team come together and 
win a conference tournament championship and punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. It was a special team. And Raging Cajun fans need to remember that. It's a special season. You don't go to the NCAA tournament all the time. <laughs> and especially in this era where if you're a mid-major program, you know, most mid-majors only are one bid league anymore. The fact that you're in the dance, it's special. Enjoy it because it doesn't happen often. You're also in a 14-team conference. I think that's something to remember. Like that got better? That Yeah, that's it. The Sun Belt probably had its best year in, in at least a decade, and you won it in that in that year where it was its best year, where it had an influx of new teams. You didn't have scouting reports on some of these new teams coming in, right? Those teams kind of – you could argue whether that was an advantage or a disadvantage for those teams, but there was a lot of things that had to happen for you to win this. And, you know, it's Jordan Brown coming in and, and kind of, you know, having having a couple stops in his career and, and living, you know, kind of doing this this – this last stop where he's kind of living his father's legacy a little bit and and kind of, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of great storylines on this team. And what Jordan came here and did was impressive. And, you know, look, the door's open for him to come back if he wants to, but I think he's obviously going to explore, explore his pro options. And, and if he leaves, I think he'd have every right to, and, and, and I would wish him the best. But, yeah, you, you accomplished a lot, and I think the, the future is, is bright. And, you know, I hope a guy like Kobe Julian, that's one of my big takeaways from this. I, I really hope a guy like Kobe Julian can have a solid, consistent offseason where he doesn't have to go in and get surgery again on, you know, his knee or something else. And he can focus on basketball for a whole, you know, stretch of time and just try to focus on maybe being the feature piece of this team next year. Maybe you build it around Kobe because, look, he stayed healthy once he came back this year. That was big for me. That was a big step. And. He certainly showed it in spurts. He wasn't consistently great, but also he wasn't really supposed to be consistently great on this team because he wasn't the number one, two, three, even four option. So I think maybe coming back, Kobe becomes a feature, you know, feature piece the way he always was meant to be on this team. And, and I'm really, I'm really hopeful for that moving forward. It was a good moment for him last night. You know, he stepped up in a big way for his team. And Kobe talked about, you know, what was his mindset out there. Uh, when he, you know, helped spark that second half comeback. I just wanted to try to step up and help my team win. Uh, my teammates, my coaches would just keep telling me, like, your time coming. You're going to be able to make big shots. You're going to be able to step up and help us get into this league and just try to take over. He did that. He gave him a spark. Uh, I'll be interested to see if there's going to be, you know, they kind of restricted his minutes a little bit once he came back and, and rightfully so like you said can he stay healthy and be a big feature piece on what they can do for this next season and look Kobe gave them a spark and helped them with that second half run and Bob Marlin talked about what they were able to do there in the second half well Terrence Lewis missed a couple of shots he's been making all year uh, for one and uh, they Joe had a steal and they got a block you know on that in the first half also uh, and at the end, the ball got knocked out of bounds, and Sarah Ball, we know what play they're running, and Plavich is just too big, and he got it. I thought they got a lot of friendly rolls in the first half that we didn't get any. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. In, in the second half, uh, we were where we needed to be. Uh, we got the ball. 
couple times where we wanted to get it and we couldn't score. So you have to give their defensive team credit. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country. That's Bob Marlin talking about what Tennessee was able to do in the first half and then what they were able to do to kind of seal the win there despite their second-half run. Rick Barnes, Tennessee coach, they advanced to the second round, and he had nothing but complimentary things to say about the opponent, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Well, really, pretty much what we expected. Uh, I've known Bob Marlin for a long time. He's got a team that he's done a great job putting together a really terrific uh, offensive team that uh, very disciplined. They know exactly what they're looking for, what they want to get each time down the floor. Defensively, his teams have always done a really good job of pressure, and certainly tonight they were playing personnel, uh, which we've seen that really much, pretty much all year. But uh, it was kind of game we expected uh, we knew it was going to be a hard fought game and kind of how we've done it many different times this year we've relied on our defense to get it done for us and uh, found a way to score enough points first half turned it over way too many uh, uncharacteristic ways but uh, a really good win proud of our players but uh, again I, I could just rave about uh, Bob and his team because those guys played their hearts out it really, if they could have taken advantage of Tennessee's offensive struggles there in, in lulls in the first half, it may have been a, be- a different outcome. It, you don't want to speculate and say, well, it would have been. But it, it may have it may have been a little bit different, right? Because Tennessee did not play a great offensive game in the first half. Maybe if you get take a couple of those stops and turn it into points. Maybe if you can get some shots to fall for you more in this in the first half, maybe you don't run out of time in your comeback in the second half. And that's probably what's going to gnaw at them a little bit, if I had to guess. Man, if, if we would have just got a couple more shots there in the first half, we would have given ourselves a, a more of a chance. Great season. Disappointing finish, obviously, but they do have players coming back. We'll see who decides to come back, who decides not to. We do live in the era of the NCAA transfer portal. So, you know, I never thought I'd see the day that Cedric Russell and Malik Wilson would have left, but they did in the last couple years. Theo left last year. So, who knows? Yeah, no, I would say that. Look, if you're a Cajun fan and a supporter and and maybe you're still getting used to this transfer portal thing, like, get in your head right now. You're probably going to see one or two guys – enter the portal every year like you know and correct it, you know this team I, I don't know if is there any exception there's a couple of positions on this team where multiple guys play in rotational roles that probably think they could play more elsewhere and so look hopefully they all come back and they all decide to run this thing back there's going to be of course some seniors that leave that open up some roles um but you know there's a decent chance some of a couple of guys leave and that's okay because they're looking for other opportunities and that, you know, guys leaving last year is what opened up a chance for Terrence Lewis to come in. So sometimes it works out for you. So I think uh, I would say just don't panic on stuff like that. I, you know, I'm still getting used to it as well, but it's just no longer that a guy signs up to play four years and, and doesn't have any opportunities no. to leave. And that, it, it honestly, it should be like that because the coaches have never had those obligations as well. And so, you know, sometimes players look for better opportunities. And I think, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out for them. I think the guys who have left this program in the past few years, I'd, I'd – 
I'd say probably most of them would say, yeah, maybe I should have stayed, uh, you know, if you ask them now. Um, so yeah. that's, that's always something to keep in mind, but it is the way that the world is today. The grass is not always greener, but Bob Marlin did make sure to make it a point last night after the loss to say, you know what? The foundation that they have for the future of Raging Cajuns basketball is an, is very, very good. I told the guys afterwards I was really proud of, of all of our players and we're going to lose a couple of seniors uh, and we'll go out and recruit and pick up another player or two. And I like our foundation uh, that we have coming back and feel like we can be at the top of the Sun Belt again. Sun Belt's a great league. This year it was really good. And to be the, the team that won the tournament, we were really excited about that. We know how hard it is to do that, but we were able to get it done. That was another thing. Tonight, we've had three elimination games. They've had one, and it was tonight. This was our fourth. So they knew in the SEC tournament they were going to play in the dance. So it, it makes a, a difference. Season comes to an end, but nothing to hang your head about for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They didn't pull off the upset, but seemingly multiple teams were able to on day one of the NCAA tournament. We'll dive into that and how busted up your bracket may look on this Friday morning. Coming up next right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How's your bracket doing? It all began early yesterday. I was on the golf course embarrassing myself as I typically do when I put a club in my hand and try to hit the small white ball. But Virginia is going to Virginia. Arizona is going to Arizona. We're always surprised when those two teams in particular go out there and wet their pants. We shouldn't be because this is what they do. This is their DNA. Start off with the Virginia game. Inexplicable. Like, I've watched the replay now half a dozen times, and I still go, what? A senior player who was on the national title team for Virginia. The year before is when they made history right as the one seed, the first one seed to lose to a 16. The next year they win the national title, and then they've been upset every year since. Shout out to the Cavaliers. He, Dawson, he, I don't know what he was doing there. Up by two, I guess he's trying to throw the ball down the court to one of his teammates. I'm trying really hard to give the young man the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I'm you trying. Know, 
He did the old, uh, you know, when you're in the when you're in the schoolyard and it's kind of like you're playing keep away with the ball and did he think and a couple of bigger kids get on you and you just you just don't want to deal with it anymore, so you just throw just the ball as far as you can. I, it almost was as if he said, "Okay, if I throw the ball down the court, the time will run out and we'll, we'll win." And I I thought that too. Now, and that is like there's a there's a situation in which that makes a little bit of sense if there's like three seconds on the clock, but there was like ten or eleven, <laughs> you know. So no, no it did. No, no, it was it was and, no bueno. And and I and look, there was a there was, it's tough too. Like you're putting, you know, these situations are, are pressure packed moments. But he had a timeout. He if he simply calls timeout, not, this is all well, avoided. Why didn't Coach Bennett call the timeout? That that too, and then or the other option is to try to throw the ball Same. off the defender because worst case scenario. Now I mean maybe the defender catches it, but like. You know, even stepping out of bounds, like literally just running out of bounds with the basketball puts a better situation because you get to set up your defense. But what happens is he throws it out, and then Furman, you know those those weird transition moments always lead to good looks from three. Furman gets the ball. They the, the, the kid jumps up a little bit to catch it. Then they throw it, and that kid that made the three-pointer had made one all game, right? Something crazy like that? It's always those guys, right? Right. And he gets up, and the guy, the kid for Virginia who threw the ball away didn't even get a hand up on the three-point attempt. Furman drains it. Done. Game-winning three-pointer. And the Cavaliers go down yet again. Look at their (laughs) – this is what they do. They were the first one seed ever to lose to a 16 seed. The next year, with their defensive-minded style of basketball, which a lot of people hate to watch, they win the national title. What's happened every year since then? It's been upset, upset, upset. This is what Virginia does. Even before they had the 116 debacle, a few years ago. They've always been a highly seeded team that will always let you down in your bracket. You have information. <laughs> the Virginia Cap. And, you know, I saw this going around on Twitter, and I would agree with it. I would take this trade every day. But the Virginia Cavaliers have won national championships sandwiched around three first-round losses to, four, to uh, 13 seeds or worse. Including a 16 seed, the only team in history to do that. They lost by 20 in that game too. That that they game got, still they got absolutely mollywopped in that game. So that starts it off. Virginia doing Virginia things, and yes, you'll take it because you got the national title, you got the banner in between. I understand that, but we should know better about the Cavaliers. No more. They lose to Furman in a 4-13 matchup early in the day. Later in the day. Arizona says, Virginia, we see you losing to a double-digit seed yet again. Hold <laughs> our beer. Did you see uh, Freezing Cold Takes, you know, that Twitter account? You ever yes. Seen those? And uh, some, I guess an Arizona fan or supporter or something tweeted, thank, you know, thank the Lord for Virginia for, you know, taking the title of the, of oh, the, oh no. <laughs> of the biggest, you know, upsets it away from Arizona. always Arizona your just, title, Arizona. Lou Olson in 1997 was a long time ago. Zona finds a way as the two seed to lose to Princeton. 
Princeton hadn't won an NCAA tournament game in like 30 years. The coach of Princeton was on the last team to win an NCAA tournament game. Arizona rolls out there as a two seed and goes, hey, let's play awful basketball and lose to the Ivy League school 59 to 55. Both of these teams, the two and the four seed in the South region, inexplicably have meltdowns yesterday. Alabama, meanwhile, goes, hey, thanks for making things so much easier for us now. Arizona, by the way, is the only school to ever, Dawson, lose to an 11 seed, a 12 seed, a 13 seed, a 14 seed, and a 15 seed in the tournament. They're the only school ever to do that since seeding began to lose to an 11, a 12, a 13, a 14, and a 15. Do you know who is the only school to ever lose twice to a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament? It's also Zona. No more. No more. I did not have Arizona in my final four. I had them originally losing in the second round. I changed it and had them going to the Sweet 16. They advanced to the Sweet 16. I had Virginia in the Sweet 16. Actually, my South region altogether, I went 9-7 and seven yesterday. I had one, two, three, four, five losses. Incorrect picks in the South region by itself. I had West Virginia. Someone was high on West Virginia here as well. Inside the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Charleston was a trendy pick inside the studios as well. They lost to San Diego State. Virginia losing to Furman. Utah State losing to Missouri. Utah State still hasn't won a tourney game in like 20 years, by the way. And of course, Zona. Woof. Well, you know what's funny is so when I, I had obviously my first round picks and everything like that, and then what I did was, so I made my legit bracket, and, and you know I've told you about how I feel about that. Well, then I made another one for fun where I basically, and I called it, you know, you can title your brackets on these, I called it first round flip, and I essentially took all the games that I felt, you know, here's my pick, but I don't, I feel like this game could go either way, and I flipped all those first round results, and in that bracket, I was way up at the top of the results, twelve and four. You know, like pretty good. My bracket didn't go so well. So, all the games that I felt fifty fifty on, I'd lost, and sometimes that's how it goes. And a couple of them were on last second shots, and that's just really tough. I think Arizona's getting a little bit of a tough, you know, rep here. And I know the history, maybe that they have a longer history of it than Virginia, but in recent history. Arizona's had, you know, two trips to the Sweet 16 since 2017, two trips to the Elite Eight since 2014, so four trips total to, you know, at least the Sweet 16 since 2014. So, you know, they've been upset in the first round a couple times, but nowhere near the the magnitude of upsets that Virginia's faced in the last five years, losing to a 16 and a 13 twice. I mean, yeah, you have this year to Princeton, and, you know, they lost to Buffalo as a 13 seed in 2018, but... I think Arizona's history in the tournament, recent history, is uh, is better than Virginia. If you're smart, you don't take Arizona past the Sweet 16. I, I wouldn't. 
And again, and, though, and, I don't know. And that's, one, why, that's why I didn't have them pass my Sweet 16, one, because you can't trust Arizona. Yeah, but one team's results don't lead to another team's successes or failures necessarily. Yeah, is, is that what you're telling yourself to make yourself feel better about Arizona being a Final Four team for you? Sure, yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> I think it matters to an extent, but I don't know. Like, If Arizona's really good next year, I'm not going to be like, Maybe I won't, you know, maybe it's a matter of how far you, you think they'll go. But, I, you know, this is a different coach as well. Like, this isn't even the same administration in, in place at Arizona. So, I, I don't know if I fully buy into that. But I do think it, it plays a factor By the way, the old coach bit. is coaching today in Xavier. Just like to throw that out there. Just to That'll be interesting. Sean, Sean. Uh, by the way, Houston's in trouble. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, look, here's the other thing, too, though. When that game was tied at the half or, or close to tied, I looked at my dad because I've watched Houston play a lot this year. I watched a couple of times when they played Tulane stuff. Every Houston first half looks like that, and then they win the game by thirty. Now the the but the fact that Sasser left the game is is a game. Sasser's pulled at yeah. the half, and I, they I don't mean, know if he's going to be able to play. Now I I still think they can probably get past their next matchup on Saturday without Which is Auburn. Him. Yeah, I think they can maybe beat Auburn. Now Auburn played well yesterday. That's going to be, but I think they have a shot. But there, but past that, you need them. You need him. You might need him against Auburn. You definitely need him past Auburn. You're going to so need him that's past gonna be that. Tough. Yeah. We got to take a timeout. We'll unveil our poll question of the day next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Poll question of the day. Which top three seed is on upset alert today? You saw Virginia go down yesterday. You saw Arizona go down. You saw Houston have its struggles. Who's on upset watch? Is it Xavier versus Kinsall State? That's a 314 matchup. Is it number three seed Baylor versus UCSB? Is it number two Marquette versus Vermont? Or is it number three Kansas State versus number 14 Montana State? Right now, 44% of you believe Baylor is on upset watch. I hope not. They're my lead eight. 24% have Kansas State. 19% say Xavier, the Musketeers, and 13% say Marquette. JPK, the OD, says none of the above. Today is a chalk kind of day. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share it throughout today's show. Hour number one is in the books, jam-packed with March Madness talk. Hour number two, we're going to shift gears, talk a little baseball with James Yasko. That's next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Seven oh three on the clock on this Friday morning. A wet and drizzly, showery Friday morning, so make sure you're careful out there. For your morning commute to work or school, spent hour number one here on the RP3 and company talking all about the NCAA tournament. Raging Cajuns fall just short 
in their upset bid in the first round of the tournament as they fall to the Tennessee Volunteers by three points. Great season for the Raging Cajuns as they make the tournament for the first time in a decade. In addition, it was a day full of upsets. Arizona doing Arizona things. Losing to a 15 seed. Becoming only the second two seed to do that twice. They've also are the only team since seeding began to lose to an 11, a 12, a 13, a 14, and a 15. So, shout out to the Wildcats. Virginia, of course, is going to do Virginia things as well as they lost in inexplicable fashion on a absolutely thrilling and frustrating day for the NCAA tournament. But now, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk baseball. World Baseball Classic. Yeah, not a lot of news coming out about the Houston Astros right now because it's spring training and because, hey, the World Baseball Classic is going on and only 14 of <laughs> the Astro players are playing in the thing. So really can't get a whole lot from what you're seeing in spring training. But we can talk about the World Baseball Classic. We're going to do so with a man who formerly worked at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. He's now the co-host of the Lehman Time Time podcast, contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and a man who has led a girls' soccer team to the playoffs. It's our good friend James Yasko. James, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing sensational, bud. So let's start off with celebrating a win to go to the quarterfinals of the World Baseball Classic, which then results in needing right knee surgery and going to miss the entire season for Edwin Diaz. Is this what happens simply to the Mets, or is this something else? Yeah, no, this is proof that the Mets are are actually cursed. Everyone talks about the Cubs being cursed. It's the Mets. Um, no, it happens. Uh, I was actually thinking, I don't know why I was thinking about this this morning, but but like Lance Berkman tore his ACL uh, playing pickup basketball uh, in the offseason. And it's like Gavin Lux tore his ACL doing a random, like normal baseball things. Like it just it just happens. It, it sucks, but uh, and it's not great for baseball because I think having the Mets as the Lex Luthor of baseball is is good for the game. Um, and another team that can knock off the Dodgers is always welcome. Uh, but no, it's just it's just one of those things, and it's 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 not my favorite thing, but it, yeah, it happens. I love the passion of celebrating a win. I don't know if you need to celebrate advancing to the quarterfinals of the World Baseball Classic like you've won the World Series, though. So I, I just have well, questions I mean, there. You think about it, you think about the matchup. Like it was that was that's a pretty passionate matchup. So it's not like you know you you tore your ACL you know because you beat you know the Texas School for the Blind. You know it's it's not it's it's, it's, it's not like that. I mean it was it was a pretty big game and like people are going nuts and uh you know good atmosphere and so I don't know that it was the celebrating the quarterfinals I think it's celebrating who they beat let's talk a little bit about the the format here because it's confused folks this week where we've had teams on one side of the bracket punch their ticket to the semifinals 
yet we still had teams gearing up to punch their tickets to the quarterfinals. The format and the scheduling has not been optimal for this World Baseball Classic, correct? I don't I don't know. Like, I, like I'm really glad you didn't ask me to explain it because I don't get it either, and I'm just going to assume that it's Rob Manfred's fault. What well, doesn't make any sense? Like we literally, it caused mass confusion here at the station between Dawson and I, and then Kevin uh, Foot who comes on after my show because we're like, well, what do you mean this team? That 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 can't be right. That team's in the semifinals. We still we don't even have quarterfinals set yet. Yes, <laughs> on no, the, on I the mean, other it's, side, it's sort of like it would be like U of H already being in the in the Elite Eight, and we're like, but what? How? So yeah, no, I don't get it. Let's talk about one of the quarterfinal games that did play last night there in the Tokyo Dome. Japan, as expected, at least as as I expected, and I feel they have a great chance to win the whole thing. They took down Italy pretty easily, 9-3. to Do you like Japan's chances to advance uh, all the way and win the whole thing? I think so because this is Shohei Otani's one chance to actually win something playing baseball. So you know, let's 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 hope let's let's pull, let's pull for Shohei, uh, and 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 let him get something before he has to go back to purgatory in Anaheim. <laughs> I, I do. I really do like Japan's chances on, on that side of the bracket as they have now punched their ticket to the semifinals. We have a quarterfinal game today, and then another one on Saturday. Uh, Puerto Rico, Mexico is on deck for tonight there in Miami. Uh, yeah, obviously probably have to favor Puerto Rico here, but does Mexico have a chance? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they beat the United States, uh, who, who had a whole host of excuses just ready. They were making it rain with those excuses. So, no, Mexico is pretty good. Uh, and, you know, obviously Puerto Rico's really good. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Puerto Rico's favored, but, but Mexico's got a shot. All right, USA, after looking like they were completely disinterested in the World Baseball Classic, they sure. finally wake up the other night. They're going to be taking on Venezuela on Saturday, also down in Miami. The other day... Does that look like the Team USA that's going to win the whole thing, the defending World Baseball Classic champs, or is was that just a fluke? With with the USA, it's I think it depends on the day. Um, you know that they they look from one game to the next like they don't they would rather they'd much rather be playing golf uh, because it's spring training and that's what you would do uh, in a normal spring training. You go throw the you make 15 pitches and and go play golf um but yeah no i think there's some pride at stake uh and and that can be you know as the i, I forgot they were the defending world baseball classic champions so they, yeah they want they want to come out and do something i don't know whatever yeah you okay world but... baseball classic it's too much it's just it's just it's too much like let, let, don't do it in the middle of the season like someone was saying but like do it like i don't know at the end of it like do it in november like i don't know I don't care for it. Okay. Are you okay? Look, bud, is everything going okay at home? You, you, you need to talk to us? <laughs> That's just one more thing to have. I'm not ready to care about baseball right now. Like, there's just other things going on. 
Uh, and and here comes here comes the not Olympics, and and it's it's yeah no it's just yeah no I'm good it's just what are we doing what are we doing he says all right so let's look ahead at the thing that um you're 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 frustrated for me asking you about uh, which makes for great radio by the way um, <laughs> good it's like <laughs> so USA Venezuela the winner. They get to move on to the semifinals to take on Cuba. Either one of those teams, USA or Venezuela, how do you like their chances against Cuba? Who This is different Cuba teams than we've seen in the past because of everything going on in the country with the political leadership, with the, the government and everything like that. It seems like a different type of Cuba team, but you know, there they are. They were the Pool A winner. They're, you know, sitting pretty so far. One went away from the championship round. Yeah, no, I mean, part. I guess, I guess, one thing I do appreciate about the baseball, the World Baseball Classic, is the, is the chance to bring up like geopolitical history. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, they're still mad about the Bay of Pigs invasion. You know, so you know, you can throw out the record books when the USA and Cuba uh, get together. No, I, I, yeah, Cuba's good. Uh, and you're right; they're not the fighting Guriels anymore. So, you know, there's, there's. A lot of a lot of Cuba's players kind of look at this as an opportunity to get noticed, and that's gonna, you know, I I talk a lot about a motivation gap, you know, that the, that the U.S. is trying to get healthy or stay healthy through the World Baseball Classic, and and Cuba is trying to, you know, they're trying to win, but also you know it's a chance to attract some attention from major league teams. So um, I like I like Cuba, I like Cuba beating whoever. Yeah, it feels like to me it's going to be Cuba-Japan in the championship round, which would be on Tuesday down there in Miami. But, look, if the USA gets its act together and plays to its potential and plays to the talent it has on the roster, it could win the whole thing again. So, USA-Venezuela quarterfinal on Saturday. Winner gets Cuba on Sunday in the semis. Puerto Rico-Mexico quarter uh, uh, quarterfinal tonight. Winner goes on to take on Japan. And then, of course, the championship round will be on Tuesday. Who do you like to be in the championship round as it stands right now? How many teams go to the championship round? Four? <laughs> Eight? I like, I like Finland uh, and, uh, and Mauritius. Um, is it, I'm, I'm dead serious. Is it four teams? It's just two teams for the championship. Two teams. You maniac. Cuba, Cuba, Japan sounds fun. Let's do that. There we go. You're welcome. I led you right there. It took you a while. You I decided to get that. lost in the wilderness, but that's fine. <laughs> I do want to ask you one, uh, uh, a couple of Astros questions. Yuli Gurriel told the media that the Astros never even made him an offer, not even a a low offer, a low ball offer this offseason. Surprised by that or no? Uh, I mean – they they did the same thing with Korea. I mean, I guess they they did sort of offer Korea, you know, some semblance of an offer, um, but but nothing nothing serious. And I think that the front office, whoever's in charge, they're more than content to if if they think that a player is past his sell by date, uh, they're not they're not gonna they're they're not gonna extend the courtesy offer on, on just on the off chance that they accept it. Um, 
So it's a little surprising just because Gurriel can play so many positions and he's such a good defensive first baseman. Uh, but it's not terribly surprising that that they're just like, okay, thank you for your service, via con Dios. <laughs> oh, all right, bud. Next question: How many games are you going to go to in person this season? What, what have you already looked at your calendar? Have you already kind of plotted out? trips to Houston to watch your beloved Astros play? So The crazy thing is, is that I have not seen the Astros win in person since 2015. And, and so, yeah, I'll look and see if there's a game that happens to coincide with a trip to my dad's house or something like that. But like, I, I had an opportunity to go to the, to go to a playoff game last year. I remember. And, and I was telling, I was telling people about it. They're like, are you going to go? I'm like, no. And they're like, I thought, but I thought you were an Astros fan, and I and my response was, I am. That's why I'm not going. Like I, they, I need them to win this game, so I don't. I cannot be there. I am the Jonah. Uh, you got to throw me overboard, and I'll give that. I'll let that ticket go to someone who has better luck than I do. So yeah, I'll, I'll go to a couple games, but if it's an important one, no, I'm staying. I'm staying well away. <laughs> uh, I appreciate your fandom, and I appreciate you. Believing that you are a, a bad penny, so to speak, and deciding to stay at home. So I appreciate your oh, dedication to that, bud. That's just the overinflated uh, sense of self-importance and ego uh, that, I, that I'm coming to terms with. Look, when you lead teams to the playoffs in girls soccer in the state of Texas, you have to have an ego. That just comes with the territory, my friend. I'm the, the high school girls soccer Jose Mourinho. Brother, enjoy your weekend, bud. <laughs> hey, I think this was this was the 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 biggest disaster for me on your show since Hannah Five Names woke me up with a phone call, and I was on I was on the air twenty seconds after waking up. Like this was this was this was something. <laughs> it, uh, we'll have you on next week, bud. I can't wait. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company on this rainy St. Patrick's Day edition. Did you remember to wear green? You know what? I, I never remembered to wear green back in the day. I am not wearing green today. And it used to be uh, you had to pinch someone. You could pinch somebody if they didn't wear green, right? That was the thing. Is that not a thing anymore? I, I don't know. I, I mean, mean, I'm I, a grown I, man now. Yeah, so. I can't tell you I go around <laughs> pinching people or ever really I, did. But I, uh, I remember those days in middle school, though. I mean, yeah. you, you better show up with something green on or it's going to be a long day for you in the schoolyard. going to be a long day in the schoolyard. You're right. And then you'd have kids just kind of like draw a green marker on their hands just because they're sick of getting pinched in first period. I remember those days. And sometimes they grab the green highlighter, but it almost looks yellow. And, you, you know, you're trying to Yeah, we need an people. official ruling on that. Can somebody, the St. Patrick's <laughs> no. Day officials, come over here and tell? I've got a little green on the shoes today. That was, you know. Does that count? I, I, 
I think I think so, right? Okay. All right. I have no green. I'm wearing black shirt, blue jeans, and my black uh slip-on sneakers, which is the Whoa, you just the, the starter kit for RP3 you uh, upset the camera himself. there for a minute, but it it uh it refocused. <laughs> Uh, so no yeah so uh, be safe out there some of uh, look have I had good times on St. Patty's Day in my younger years in my youth if you will yes so uh, just make sure because St. Patrick's Day is on a Friday this year and it kicks off a weekend don't get crazy with it you know what I'm saying don't don't, get crazy with it this weekend I don't think I've ever done something for st patrick's day i really don't like i've gone to the st patrick's day parade in new orleans like you know which is the sunday before but i don't think i've ever like i don't know i ha- I haven't been i haven't been much on the uh you know the culturally questionable holidays like where does the history fall isn't there some now st patrick's day's got a little bit more of a rich history but you know cinco de mayo kind of an, an americanized uh holiday things like that yeah i haven't i don't know and it's not like i don't have any strong stance one way or the other but i just feel like i haven't i can't remember like getting out and being like yeah i'm ready to go st patrick's day let's go to the irish pub let's get it going like, i i haven't i don't know maybe this year will be the year I, I well first of all i was never that guy to get you know geared up but i did have friends and be like what are we doing for st patrick's day and i was like all right same thing we do every day uh, yeah, <laughs> i don't know we're, we're, we're just gonna go to the same bar it yeah. doesn't really matter here. They're just serving shamrock drinks, which are just I mean, green oh, food coloring. In uh, yeah, on a random Tuesday, we'd be drinking an Irish car bomb anyway. So I guess we'll have one today on St. Patrick's Day. Whew. I went through a phase there. You know, Irish car bombs were my thing. Good for you. Oh, when I was younger, yes. Now, no, no, no. Can't be doing any of that. Poll question of the day on this St. Patrick's Day, rainy St. Patrick's Day. Which top three seed is on upset alert today for the NCAA tournament? Yesterday, we had the two seed Kansas get bounced, the four seed Virginia get bounced, both in the South region. Arizona, not Kansas, but continue on. Sorry. There we go. Arizona, thank you. I was thinking about those Irish car bombs. And Virginia, both gone. Two and four seeds gone. Houston, Looked shaky as well yesterday as a one seed. So, who do you believe is on upset watch today? Is it Xavier, coached by former Arizona coach Sean Miller? 25 and 9, the Musketeers. I don't know, man. I think they get past Kinsall State. But I don't like their chances in the rest of the bracket. I, I just I just don't. Is it Xavier versus Kinsaw State? Is it Baylor versus UCSB? That's University of California, Santa Barbara. Is it Marquette as the two seed down in the East region taking on Vermont? Is Vermont's mascot the fighting maple syrups? No, they are the catamounts. Cool name, still missed opportunity. Vermont is a uh, kind of a bit of a dynasty as far as mid-major basketball, just so you know. I mean, they have won some games. They have won some games. Yeah, for sure. I still would like their nickname to be something with maple syrup, but that's obviously not going to happen today. So I'll move on. I'll move on. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to say briefly, 
You're bringing up Sean Miller and Xavier. I definitely have probably misspoke and said Sean Miller was a coach of Arizona at some point this week, looking back on it. So I'd like to retract that because I knew he was gone from there, right? That was the whole thing. No, he was fired. Of course. And I knew that. But I think I said something about Sean Miller being the reason they were going to go far. So that's yes, that's a misspeak on my part. So I just want to retract that one. Yes. And also, it leads me to another point while we have a couple of moments here. You know, I wrote a column about Will Wade writing again into coaching at McNeese. You can find it at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And I know people are up in arms about the general Wade and what he did at LSU and being on the FBI wiretap and all this stuff. I, I, I get it. I get it. But have you been paying attention to college basketball and how it's a dirty business? Because that's what it is. Because by the way, Sean Miller is coaching Xavier today. Bruce Pearl coached Auburn yesterday. John Calipari is coaching Kentucky today. Rick Patino is coaching Iona today, right? All of those coaches, all four of them, have had wins, tournament runs, all vacated. They've all lost jobs because of it. John Calipari has two Final Four trips on the resume wiped out. All have gotten either show clauses and whatnot, and yet all four men who have been on the top five wanted list by the NCAA for infractions, for cheating, are all coaching in the NCAA tournament. I just want to point that out. (laughs) just want to point that out. So I understand if you may get upset by Will Wade being in Lake Chuck, but... If that really upsets you that much and you're surprised by that, you're not following college basketball because that's standard operating procedure, boys and girls. Just saying. It's what it's what happens. It's what's always happened. Not to mention Bill Self won a national title last year at Kansas and he's caught up in that same FBI sting that Will Wade was. They're the defending national champs. Just saying. Your other option, which top three seed is on upset alert, K-State versus Montana State. Now, I got I like K-State. I like K-State to make a little bit of a run, too. So, which top three seed is on upset alert today? Right now, 32% of you say number three Baylor is. <laughs> 28% say number three Xavier is. 24% say number three Kansas State is. And 16% say number two seed Marquette. <laughs> I'm just thinking of how long it took you to reveal the fourth option on the poll right there. I got distracted. (laughs) I got distracted. I should have revealed the fourth option, but then that just, I got distracted because you brought up Sean Miller and I was like, oh yeah. Hey, you know, you know, I bring up my roommates often on this show. Got a roommate graduated from Kennesaw State. Shout out to Delo's roommate history. There's only three at, in Florida State, and but you know, I mean, it just it sounds like more because I guess we went to multiple schools, so we have different connections. But uh, there yeah, is. shout out to Kennesaw State. Now he uh, he doesn't support them as much as he supports Georgia Tech, so I always get on him for that. Ramblin Breck. He's a Georgia Tech fan, but he went to Kennesaw State, so I always kind of question his loyalties. But um, this is their first time in the tournament, and um, they're looking to make some noise. The Owls. And I think of the four, that's that's probably my pick to, to maybe give Xavier some trouble. 
I do think Sean Miller, though, veteran coach who's been there before, he knows how to handle these tournament games. You think maybe they're able to avoid the upset, but yeah, in the first round, he'll 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 have a letdown though for you in the next two rounds. Not to worry. <laughs> Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, "Gonna go with Vermont Catamount. Start four seniors and on a 19 game winning streak." Thanks, Google. Did you know the last catamount killed Vermont was in 1881, and the species is considered extinct? Plus, Vermont gives us maple syrup. Ralph, with the additional you guys in the maple info. syrup, huh? How could you not love maple syrup? I don't not love maple All syrup. All right, I just, just I was worried. You know, I did give you the title producer extraordinaire this week. If you were going to come out strong against maple syrup, I could easily take that title away. Just to let you know mm-hmm. the power I have here. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> keep those votes coming on our ridiculous poll question of the day. Woo! What do we got coming up next? How about some New Orleans Saints talk? Couple things happened today, uh, yesterday of note: restructuring of one contract once again, Mickey working his magic, and some good off the field news. Considering uh, uh, with another player, we'll dive into that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, it is coming down outside. Make sure you're careful out there today when you're trying to make that commute to school or to work. Make sure you're careful. Make sure you avoid any low-lying areas. If you're seeing high water, don't try to drive through it. Uh, Rain is really coming down outside the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. So just make sure you are careful out there today on your morning commute as we kick off St. Patrick's Day with a traditional downpour. We talked a lot about the NCAA tournament, our poll questions about the NCAA tournament, but let's talk a little New Orleans Saints. It's been a very busy and productive week for Mickey Loomis and company. Derek Carr deal got done over the weekend. Then they had some players get poached by NFC South teams because the rest of the NFC South was like, hey, that team over there, let's go get some of those players and overpay them, in particular the Falcons and the Panthers, because they just got money that's burning a hole in their pocket, as my dad would say. But they restructure the Michael Thomas deal, get that on a one-year deal. They get Jameis Winston to restructure his deal to come back on a one-year deal, both team-friendly. They go out there and get themselves two, as Kevin Foote would say, beefy lads to play defensive tackle, one from the Jets, one from the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Then they go out and get themselves a downhill runner, as Kevin would say. Jamal Williams. Well, they're not done. In a move that I find interesting, not because I think they're going to get rid of them, but, but just because it's just a smart move, is that... Andres Pete, who, by the way, I don't know if you know this, Dawson. I have given Andres Pete a nickname. 
inspired uh, by conversations between our number one Raging Cajun fan, Darren. We've come up with a nickname that I've used now for a few years here on the show, Pond Water. Because Pond Water doesn't, doesn't move. move huh? Yeah. <laughs> and Andres is really good about popping up and putting his hands up to block for a running play. But if you ask our boy from Stanford to move around and to possibly have to block someone in pass protection, it's Olay time. <laughs> right by him. The man is terrible in pass protection. <laughs> and they gave him that massive con- I know why they gave him the massive contract extension a couple years ago because that's what the market warranted and they needed a guard. And they couldn't afford to let him walk. I get it. It's a lot of money for a guy who can't pass protect. But, and another smart move, the Saints and Andres Pete agreed on a revised contract, saving the Saints an additional $9.5 million in cap space. Saints are just restructuring, restructuring, restructuring. They do it better than anyone, by the way. Pete was expected to count for over 18 mil against the cap this coming season. But now it's only going to be nine and a half million. So they're essentially saving nine million. New Orleans football's Nick Underhill was one of the first to confirm that. Now, Pete's name had been mentioned as a possible post-June 1st cut. However, that would have put him in a couple of binds. So now they have it. They've restructured the deal. And now they have even more room. This also may pave the way for the Saints to go ahead and pick up the fifth-year option for Cesar Ruiz. Because now they can do so. But they get this deal done. It's another one of their restructures, and they've had a ton of them this offseason. What do you make of the Andres Pete renegotiation? And do you believe he's still going to be on the roster come the fall, Dawson? I just, I love the idea of like Mickey Loomis walking into a room with his players and being like, look, I know we gave you a lot of money, but you kind of sucked last year. So how about we go ahead and not pay you that much? Because that's what they did with Will Lutz. And he was like, yeah, it was pretty bad. Like, let's just go ahead and pay me less. Like, I. I probably don't deserve that much. And I know that these are different. They're restructures. It's not necessarily They're restructures. The They're getting they, the money. They turn money. They, the they, Will Lutz one was the one that was actually an example <laughs> right. of that. But anyway. But like, they turn the money into signing bonus yeah, money, yeah, which they, is how Mickey gets around the cap. So, yes. But all jokes aside, I mean, yeah, like he's – if I think – now they signed a guard yesterday as well, which um, if you check the comments section from the fans of the team that he departed from, they seemed like they were throwing uh, – a St. Patrick's Day extravaganza in celebration that the player was no longer going to be on their roster. Um, and he has a name. First name is Storm, I believe. Storm Norton, bud. Yeah. That's who we talking about uh, for, I want to say, for the Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers fans, I think, actually paid for his flight out of town. Uh, they seemed like they could not wait to get this guy off the roster. So, 
It's just a one-year deal. Yeah, he's right? a depth guy. He's going to be a backup. <laughs> right, he's so. a backup guy. He's 28 years old. He was an undrafted free agent out of Toledo back in 2017. Yeah, so right? how, so, yeah, so calm down, Charger fans. There's only like there's not that many of you anyway. So relax. he initially signed with the Lions. He's bounced around. He's a journeyman backup, right? Mm-hmm. He's played uh, for Detroit. Arizona, Minnesota. He even played for the XFL 2.0's Los Angeles Wildcats. There you so you're getting a little XFL experience on the roster. But last three years, he's been with the Chargers. <clears throat> and he started most of 2021 at right tackle. But he's played as a backup swing tackle on both the right and the left side. So this is a guy that gives you depth at the tackle position, which you can't have enough of that. So... Once again, another little small move, but hey, not a bad move. Yeah, but I mean the restructure, like they're gonna keep doing that forever. So they re signed Blake Gilligan. Gilligan yesterday now as well. Number five, not number four. That is right. Derek Carr's number. Right. He's changing his number so Derek Carr can have the number that he prefers. Um so and that also helps the team out there too. There was some buzz about they weren't thrilled with Blake and that they may see if Thomas Morstead wanted to come back. But I think that puts that to bed with the restructuring, re-signing the deal, right? So that takes care of that. You don't so. think they want to run a two-punter system? <laughs> kind of if one of them's not in the flow of the game, maybe we'll switch things up with a different look, kind of punt it from a different angle? No, no absolutely. That's, that, that is phenomenal. You know, I did forget about this, too. They also are bringing back special team standout uh, Ty Summers on a one-year deal, the linebacker. But he's a special teams guy. You know, he's he's your J- JT Gray guy. But I forgot that Jamal Williams and, and Taysom Hill were college roommates and teammates. They, they, teammates, they roommates? Rather. Yeah, I, I, I think say, they were teammates. But uh, yeah, no, that BYU team. I actually did a deep dive on that BYU team a while back. They had a loaded roster back then. Uh, they had some guys, and I could go through it if we had more time, but unfortunately we don't, so I won't. Um, that BYU team had some guys, a lot of them, and um, that was interesting to see. I, I, You know, I wouldn't have thought of Jamal Williams as a BYU guy as my first guess, you know, before I knew that. He is uh, quite an interesting character, and um, but yeah, what an interesting duo that is. So maybe they, again, they, you very well could have a couple of packages with them in the backfield together this year. That should be a lot of fun. You know, they've got a, a pre-kit, you know, a, a little bit of chemistry already from back in the college days. But the other big news yesterday, besides some restructured deals in particular with Andres Pete, that's going to free up even more salary cap space. That's going to allow them to do some extensions. That's also going to allow them to bring in some more free agents. Prosecutors will not pursue charges against Saint Safety Marcus May. Jefferson Parish District Attorney's Office has refused charges against New Orleans Safety Marcus May due to to a lack of evidence in a statement made Thursday. If you remember, May was arrested on September 1st of last year on a charge of aggravated assault with a firearm after an alleged road rage incident occurred in Metairie. He was released from custody after posting a $30,000 bond. According to a news release from the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office after the arrest, May was identified as the driver of a black SUV that was involved in an incident which he he is accused of pointing a firearm at another vehicle that was uh, occupied by several juvenile females. The 30-year-old May remained with the team all season and did receive permission to travel out the country for the Saints game in London. Now, 
Obviously, they're not going to pursue any charges, but don't forget that doesn't stop Roger Goodell for being judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to discipline for the NFL because under the banner of the league's conduct policy. So we'll see. He also, don't forget, had the DU, uh, DWI as well and uh, pled not guilty to all charges on that case and has been continued several times, most recently on March 15th. The next court date is on the 29th. So one hurdle for off-the-field issues for Marcus May has been cleared. Another one still to come, but I would still expect some type of punishment by Roger Goodell. I said I wasn't going to give it to you. I'll give it to you anyway. Um, Fred Warner, one of the best linebackers in the league, was also teammates with Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams at BYU and Sione Takitaki. So, I mean, what a, what a roster they had back in 2014. That team, they should have accomplished more than they did. You know, I mean, they were a good squad. They, won, they went 8-5, and five, but they should have won more games than that. One of the best linebackers in the league, the best quarterback of all time, and Jamal Williams. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Man can't help himself. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two. That's all going to be next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, the National Weather Service out of Lake Charles has issued a couple of alerts. Special weather statement about uh, severe storms, thunderstorms for Lafayette Parish, St. Landry Parish, Upper St. Martin Parish as well. There's also a wind advisory for East Cameron, Lafayette Parish, Lower St. Martin Parish, Upper St. Martin Parish, and West Cameron Parish. If you look on the radar right now, uh, this storm system reaches all the way up to Leonville, all the way down to New Iberia and Abbeville, and all the way over to Jennings. So please be careful out there this morning with the uh, bad weather conditions currently out there for most of Acadiana and southwest Louisiana. We should be experiencing this for at least a few hours, according to the National Weather Service. So just make sure you're careful out there this morning. Poll question of the day. We asked you which top three seed is on upset alert. 35% of you say Baylor as the three seed versus University of California, Santa Barbara, the 14 seed. 27% of you say Xavier, the three seed, the Musketeers taking on Kinsaw State, the 14 seed. 23% of you say the three seed, Kansas State, taking on the 14 seed, Montana State. And 15% of you say two-seed Marquette, taking on 15-seed Vermont. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Which top three seed is on upset alert today for the second day of the NCAA men's tournament as we wrap up round number one today? That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, what do we got planned for you? What do we got lined up for you? How about some New Orleans Pelicans talk with Christian Clark of The Advocate? We're going to start that. He had a great tweet about the team's performance the other day. I'll make sure to bring that up. We'll also talk to Ryan Hinton, that boy wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast, and all the moves, a very busy week for the New Orleans Saints. 
That's what we got coming up. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's always open. Love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on the clock on this extremely stormy St. Patrick's Day edition of RP3 and Company. Final hour has arrived. Make sure you're careful out there. Once again, latest from the National Weather Service in Lake Charles. Uh, We have a couple of alerts to let you know about. Uh, Definitely thunderstorms are blanketing southwest Louisiana, Acadiana, all the way up from Leonville down to Abbeville, New Iberia, over to Jennings. So essentially all of Acadiana and stretching into other parts of southwest Louisiana. Also wind advisory for East Cameron Parish, Lafayette Parish, both lower and upper St. Martin Parish and West Cameron Parish. So make sure you're careful out there. Avoid low-lying areas. Avoid high water and just make sure you take your time this morning. No need to rush it while you're taking the kiddos to school or you're making your own commute to work. Don't forget... Coming up half an hour from right now, Ryan Hinton, that boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast, will join us to talk about all the moves the New Orleans Saints have been making this week. It's been a very, very busy week for the black and gold. But right now, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Pelicans with the man who covers them for the advocate. Christian Clark joins us now. Christian, good morning to you, brother. Hope you're being safe out there today, my friend. How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Drove into uh, Houston last night, got a little Whataburger right when I crossed that Texas state line. I'm doing okay. Oh, man, you got to get the Whataburger. See, I mean, that's now we, hey, do you want to just talk about Whataburger for the next 10 minutes instead of having to be forced to talk about the Pelicans? Well, listen, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, you know, I played a bunch of high school sports. I mean, like every every single weekend in high school. I was at the Whataburger on Friday or Saturday night. So I, I have a lot of thoughts on the Whataburger if you want to. Oh, we could do a deep, just do a deep dive on the Whataburger. Dawson, what do you think? Should we do a deep dive on the Whataburger instead of talking about the Pelicans? What do you think? Oh, I would. This Pelicans team, 100%, I agree. <laughs> uh, Christian, I, I, we got to talk about the Pills, man. I wish we could just talk about Whataburger instead. You were absolutely savage with a tweet the other night, and I have to bring it up because it was just phenomenal. Folks, I haven't seen someone flood the market with bricks like this since the movie Blow, and you shared a chart of all the bricks they had in their game. Um, Why is this team playing so poorly? Just honestly. Oh, my gosh. I mean... I wish I knew. I wish Willie Green knew. I wish they knew. I mean, the number one thing I think why the season has been disappointing is the main two guys continue to miss a ton of games. I mean, Zion obviously he hasn't played since January second. We, I think, everyone listening is aware of 
Zion unavailability situation. I think, you know, the amount of games Zion has missed is kind of overshadowed that Brandon Ingram misses a ton of games too. He missed 27 games last year. He missed 29 games in a row this year with a toe contusion. You know, I was texting somebody from another team the other day. I was like, how does this get better in the world? Like, what do they need? And he's like, man, I don't know, better luck, better big toe management. Like, it really does feel like, you know, I got like their second best player missing two months with the big toe is a huge reason why this season went off the rails. Oh, and yeah, BI missing time is a big factor in that. I also wonder, you know, last year they got a spark after the CJ McCollum trade and they didn't have Zion yet they were able to find a way to kind of rally, gel together uh, as Willie Green was a rookie coach. And they made it into the playing tournament. They win the playing tournament, and then they get into the playoffs. You pretty much have the same identical roster than you did a year ago, yet since Zion's been out, this team, for the most part, even with Brandon Ingram in the lineup, they've been on the struggle bus, both offensively and defensively. You would think they would know how to play without Zion, but they have looked lost without him. I mean, you're right. They they're ten and twenty three since twenty twenty three. That's that's the fourth worst record in the NBA. I mean, they've they've literally record wise been one of the worst NBA teams in the new year. And I, I mean, I think you're right. It's like how how is this team, which is the same one that you know was playing such energized, fun basketball last year and, and won those play-in tournament games and got into the first round. The same team as this year, which has just looked lifeless since Zion went down. Um, I mean, Brandon and CJ are not making mid-range shots at, at the rate they did last year. They've fallen off a little bit. The Pelicans just, just can't shoot threes at all. Um, you know, it's been a problem for a while now. And, I mean, it's it's just not a lot of you know, creativity or outside shooting on offense. And it just, like, to me, it just looks like a team that, the like, the belief has gone out of them a little bit. I mean, they just they just don't have that belief right now. They just don't have a belief. And this is a team that has some veteran guys on there, and yet, I don't know, they just play lost. They just, they, they, they look like they just don't know what they're doing out there. And it, it's showing... Give me your thoughts on Valachunas because I thought he played well early in the season. He's not been playing consistent, and it sure feels like to me after this season that he may no longer be a New Orleans Pelican. I could be completely wrong on that, but I don't know. It just seems he the longer the season goes, the less part of what they want to do he's a part of. Yeah, I would I would uh, agree with that. I mean, we saw from very early in the season, you know, in in important moments, Willie Green was going to go with Larry Nance Jr. at center. He wanted defensive versatility, you know, rather than just having that that low post threat. And I think in, early on, the Pelicans definitely had some success playing that way. Um, you know, Larry has actually played the most fourth quarter minutes of any any center on this Pelicans roster. Um, you know, compared to JV. You know, JV, um, he just doesn't, you know, he's never been the quickest guy, I don't think, but he looks pretty immobile to me right now. Like, he looks like he's playing in concrete shoes. You know, I know he's played through some pain this year, you know, a number of different injuries. Um, 
he just looks slow to me and ground down. Um, and I, I think you're right that when you look ahead to next year, you know, JV has been a great soldier when he's here, but if you're looking at realistic ways to make this team a little bit better, I mean, I think Willie Green has made it clear what he wants from that that center spot is someone who could be a little more dynamic defensively and, you know, JV expiring money next year, I think about 15 million, you know, that's, that's one I think they're going to have to look at. We're talking with Christian Clark of the advocate. He joins us here on RP three and company. I expected CJ McCollum to play better and play more consistent. And it hasn't happened. He, he, he's shown flashes of playing really good, and then he's shown flashes of just playing, eh, okay. What ails CJ? Yeah, I mean, he, he for a couple of weeks, he's been playing with, um, you know, basically a, a pretty big wrap on his right hand. He has told us that he's dealing with a ligament issue in his right thumb that, you know, will require him getting MRIs throughout the season. He's like, I don't know if it'll be a surgery thing in the off season, but he has decided to play through it. Um, so, you know, I, as for a right-handed shooter and ball handler, a ligament issue in your thumb, like that doesn't sound great to me, but he has decided to play. Um, so I would assume that's affecting him a little bit, but yeah, he just hasn't been as good as he was last year, you know, after they traded for him. I mean, he shot like, if you look at the, the splits on cleaning the glass, like 50% from mid-range last year with the Pelicans, and he's at 42% right now. I mean, he's just not been, you know, nearly as as efficient as, as he was last year. And, I mean, to me, what, like, a lot of these games they've lacked about Zion is just offensive organization. I mean, I think CJ is very talented, but, you know, like, they struggled against the zone a lot. That Lakers game, they got down early, and they just – they were trying to make it all back in one possession instead of, you know, chipping away at the lead over time. Like they have not had great offensive organization, especially in the half court to me, um, since Zion went down. And I think you know, CJ deserves at least some of the blame for that as the lead guard on this team. You know, we've kept talking about the fact that they're the Western Conference is wide open and that it's a log jam after you get to about the 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 four seed down. There's not that much separation, less than four games, right, between Phoenix right now and all the way down to New Orleans, who's currently, in, I guess, in 12th place. And we've had that conversation for, well, I don't know, month and a half, nearly two months. And I get that, and that still leaves the window open for this team to not only make the play-in tournament, but, uh, you know, maybe be able to do something. But I keep seeing inconsistent poorly played basketball that hasn't changed either do you have confidence that this team can find a way to get into the playing tournament and actually win some games oh man i mean i i think they could get into the playing tournament i you know unless zion comes back and looks like he does like the same guy he was in december which seems unlikely i don't think they can get out of the playing tournament this year i mean i think it's a I think it's a much more difficult playing tournament field in general. I mean, think about the path the Pelicans took to advance out of it last year. They beat a, they were, first of all, they're 10 games under 500. No team 10 games under 500 is going to make the playing tournament this year. The, the West just isn't that, that bad in that, that 9 through 12 range. They beat the Spurs, who had DeJounte Murray and, and nobody else really. 
and then they were able to play the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You know, Kawhi was still hurt, and Paul George got COVID. So that was a stroke of luck right there. I mean, even if they get in the play-in tournament, it's going to be difficult. Like, you probably you might have to deal with the Lakers. You know, right now it would be the loser of the Minnesota-Dallas matchup. Like, imagine having to play Luka and Tyree in one game to see who advances. I would not have a, a great deal of confidence in the Pelicans in that. That leads us to my next question. You know, we looked at the schedule and we said, okay, well, if they go through this part of the schedule, they're going to get to a softer part of the schedule. Two games against the Houston Rockets who are battling the Spurs to see who can take the big French fella, the big fella, right? So, and I get that, but the Rockets have been playing better basketball of late. They've won a couple of games, including beating Boston and L.A., and I know they got the Spurs back at home in the Smoothie King Center, but based on what we saw, how they played against Oklahoma City and how they played against a LeBron-less Lakers team, Pelicans fans just can't bank on the next three games being wins, right? I mean, definitely. I think it it's going to be difficult to win both of these games in Houston. I mean, New Orleans has been a pretty awful road team this year. I mean, I just don't think you can assume at this point that they can win consecutive road games, even if it's coming against uh, a Rockets team that is playing a little bit better lately, but has you know, mostly been terrible throughout the season. Yeah, you, you definitely can't assume that. I mean, I would, I would have to look it up. I don't know off the top of my head. I'll put it down my outline today. But I think they've won consecutive road games two times this season. I think it's only been two times. Oh. <laughs> it's not great. I mean, at least the Pelicans are better on the road than the Warriors are. So, I mean, at least they got that going for them, <laughs> right? But, <laughs> uh, Christian, I'll, I'll one of wrap. My, one of my favorite stats of the season was uh, Matt Moore tweeted out the other day, the Sacramento Kings, the only West team with a winning road record. That's how weird this year's been. It's been absolutely bizarre. Uh, brother, get you out of here with this. When it's all said and done, when the season comes to the close, do you believe that the – New Orleans Pelicans are in the play-in tournament, and do you believe Zion Williamson will actually be playing for the Pelicans in the play-in tournament? Oh, there hasn't been much evidence for what I'm about to say. We know how poorly they played in 2023, but I'll say they do get in. I don't, you know, I think Oklahoma City doesn't really want to make it. I think Utah would be fine with not making it, so I'll, I'll say they get up to ten. And yeah, I'll say they have Zion back. I mean, the thing about him is. He always wants to play. I mean, when you ask people on the Pelicans right now, like, is he coming back? Like, they are straight up saying, I have no idea. Like, I like, I feel like they've been wrong about this so many times before, and it's been so difficult to predict. They're not even in the business of trying to predict right now. Brother, you know what? We always know when you join us that you're going to deliver the goods. We don't have to make any bold predictions there. Appreciate your time, my friend. Enjoy being in Houston and try to eat as much Whataburger as possible. All right, man. I'll, I'll be back there today. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and company on this stormy St. Patrick's Day. 823, need to make sure that you know what's going on out there as you're making your morning commute for work or school. Right now, Natural Weather National Weather Service out of Lake Charles has issued a weather alert for southwest Louisiana. Um, severe thunderstorms, storm system is coming through. Right now, it's ranging all the way up from Leonville and St. Landry Parish all the way down to Abbeville. St. Martinville, New Iberia, all the way over to Jennings. So there's a storm system currently going through. Severe rain is here. Also, we have a wind advisory from the National Weather Service for East Cameron Parish, West Cameron Parish, Lafayette Parish, Lower and Upper St. Martin Parish. So bad weather out there currently right now. Make sure you're careful while you're on the roadways making your commute to work or school, avoid low-lying areas, avoid high water, and make sure that you're just careful and mindful. Don't be on your phone. Be focused while you're out there on the roads so we can avoid having any accidents as severe weather is blanketing Acadiana and southwest Louisiana as we speak. Poll question of the day. We asked you which top three seed is going to be on upset alert today. Day two of the NCAA men's tournament. We had two real big upsets yesterday as the four seed Virginia lost to the 13 seed Furman in inexplicable fashion. Oh, it was just brutal to watch, and I'm not even a Virginia fan. Arizona, the two seed. Also in the South region, they got upset by Princeton as well. So, who's on upset watch today? And man, y'all have been voting back and forth here. This is close. Right now, 37% of you say you got no respect whatsoever for the Big 12. The three-seed Baylor versus... University of California, Santa Barbara, 314 matchup. 37% of the vote says the Baylor Bears are on upset alert today. 23% say number three seed Kansas State, also out of the Big 12. They were the best basketball conference this year, by the way. They're on upset alert versus number 14 seed Montana State. 23% of you also say that number three Xavier versus 14 seed Kansas State is on upset alert. And then 17% of you say two seed Marquette versus the Catamounts of Vermont are on upset alert. Who do you believe is on upset alert, Dawson? After we saw a few big upsets yesterday, a lot of the action was kind of lackluster as the day progressed. Maybe wasn't the most thrilling and legendary day of the NCAA tournament, but... Doesn't mean that we can't have upsets today. Doesn't mean that we're not going to have some thrilling games today as round one completes. Of those teams, who do you believe is most in danger of being upset? Well, I'll go away from those just because 
we kind of talked. I think Kennesaw, if I had to give you one from there, I'll go Kennesaw and, and Xavier, that matchup. But um, I, I'm still going to stick with Kent State or Indiana, and I talked a good bit about that on footnotes yesterday. I really, really think Kent State's going to pull that off. That's a 13-4, so that would be you know almost as big an upset as some of those on there. Um, and I, I think Kent State's kind of built for this. They, they're a little bit battle-tested. They played a lot of good opponents during the regular season, and I think Indiana's been a little inconsistent, maybe perhaps a bit overrated. So I'll go there. And then I still think VCU over St. Mary's. Those were two of my three uh, top three upset picks yesterday. The first one didn't exactly work out. Charleston just couldn't get it done down the stretch. I mean, they were right there in it against San Diego State. They were they right just, there for most of the game, yeah. yeah and they just, didn't, they just didn't hit a couple of big shots late, and that's obviously sometimes the difference in these tournament games. I look at what's on, you know, if we want to look outside of the, the top three seeds for our poll question, when I look at the the bracket and I go, okay, I worry about Kentucky. Now, that that wouldn't be a huge upset because that's an 8-11 matchup, right? So that's not 6-11, but yes. 6-11, rather. Not a huge upset, but Kentucky's had a lot of letdowns since they won that national championship. Yeah, are we getting close to um, you know kind of talking about whether Calipari and there's and, some and buzz kind of what the long term you know mm-hmm. that, aspects of that are because there, there's some buzz been there, there's been some rumblings for a while now that the Calipari era in Kentucky may be coming to an end. Maybe he you know where does he go right? Does he go NBA right? Does he go? Does he try to explore that route and see what that has to offer? Does he try to go to a different college or? You know, that, that'll that be intriguing, you know, storyline, especially if they lose this game and they have a round one exit. When the one and done was new, he yeah. excelled. But now that everyone is kind of embraced, even Coach K embraced the one and done, and Kansas embraced the one and done. So when all the other blue bloods in college basketball embraced that this is, in fact, how we have to operate now, I think everyone kind of caught up with Cal. And he, he doesn't get the quality of talent that he was. It's still good. He still sends lottery picks, but he's not getting Anthony Davis types, right? He's not getting those guys. They're not coming through. DeMarcus Cousins, well, they're and, not coming through. He's got some of them, but he's not stacking five and six of them on one roster. Correct. Right? And so because everyone year, they, else has embraced that Yeah, same and they have Shibway, and, and Shibway is one of the better players in the country. I, I'd say a top ten player easily in this tournament, maybe top five, maybe top three. Like He's up there. Shibway is an incredible talent, but is he enough to, to make a run in this tournament? I think, I think it's enough to beat Providence today, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost, and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they lost at any point after this game. So I'm watching Kentucky as a, as a mild upset. You already talked about St. Mary's VCU. I actually have VCU picked to win that game. That's a 5-12 matchup over in the West. Another game to kind of keep an eye on for me, TCU-Arizona State. I have Arizona State as one of the first four teams in to advance to the round of 32. Uh, TCU has shown their moments, but TCU also lost to Northwestern State this year. So and that's not a knock on the demons, but it's not as if TCU is exactly, you know, going to walk through that easily. And then the other one, which I've also picked, and you and I talked about this, I like Pittsburgh over Iowa State. That's another 6-11 matchup. And Kent State against Indiana, I also picked Kent State to win that. That's a 4-13 matchup. So it, there may not be top three seeds that go down today. But I, I do expect some fours and some sixes to go down. Well, and I, I'm not going to be uh, 
bold enough to tell you which one, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say a, that a one, two, or three seed goes down today. I do think one, we'll see one more. Um, in addition to Princeton getting, getting it done against Arizona, I think we'll see one more. Not sure where it's going to come from, but I just get that feeling that uh, we, we didn't have quite enough madness yesterday. I get the feeling that there's something else for, in store. You know, the tournament's crazy, too. And I, and I know we're coming up on the break here, so I'll try to make this quick. But, like, and I talked about how much it's my favorite day of the year. And yesterday, like, it's just crazy how much you start at 11 o'clock and then you kind of ease into it. You get a few games going. And then they're just kind of nonstop throwing them at you all day. And then every time you, you kind of s- slow down, they throw four more games at you. And you go through this huge emotional wave. And then, of course, it was amplified by the Cajuns playing. And then you get through Thursday, and you're like, wow, deep breath. And then you wake up Friday, and you do the same thing all over again. We've got just as many games today as we had yesterday. It's just such a beautiful event. And please don't mess it up and put 712 teams in it the way they want to in the future. Keep it where it is. I'd be fine if they got rid of the first four entirely and went back to 64. But please just keep it where it is. It's such a beautiful sporting event. It's, it's one of the great things I get to enjoy on this earth. So what you're saying is, please don't be a th- uh, uh, a thief of joy. For yes. you, yes, right. and I think I can, like I can for me, I, I think the NCAA should make that exception, right? I mean, I haven't asked them for much, but I'm asking them for this. So come through for me. The man says I haven't asked them for much. So keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, oh man. That boy, Wolf. That's right. Ryan Hinton's going to join us from the Saints Twitter podcast. We're going to talk all the moves the black and gold have made this week. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I say over and over again on this show, when I say it in group text messages to colleagues and to friends, Trust Mickey. Every time there's gloom and doom, every time Saints fan thinks that the sky is falling, oh my God, the Carolina Panthers signed Shy Tuttle. Marcus Davenport's getting paid $13 million to go get a half a sack in Minnesota. What is Mickey Loomis doing? What are the Saints doing? I'm done with this team. I'm over it. And I tell everyone to take a breath, find your happy space. You know, find your spirit animal, whatever you need to do, and just say, trust Mickey. Because typically, nine times out of ten, that's what works, and that's what he's only done for, I don't know, 20 years. To talk about the moves Mickey Loomis has been making this week as a man who understands that philosophy better than most from the Saints Twitter podcast, better known as Dat Boy Wolf, is our guy Ryan Hinton joining us now. Ryan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Raymond. How's it going, buddy? So, first question, why do some Saints fans panic every offseason and worry about the salary cap and worry about Mickey Loomis putting a competitive team on the field? I don't know, man. Like If you, if you don't understand the Saints salary cap management up to this point, I don't know what to tell you. You got to do some research. Uh, 
because they, they, they when when you see that the Saints are you know thirty million, forty million, fifty million over the cap, don't worry. It's not like it surprised them. You know that stuff is you know mapped out years ahead. They know how to get under the cap, and you know they know how to make their targeted moves once they get under the cap. Um, they, it doesn't prevent them from doing what they really feel must be done. Just put it like that. All right, let's start off with the defections on defense poached away by the majority of the NFC South. Uh, You know, Anyamata, he'd been off a little bit the last couple years, plus he'd been suspended, and the Saints weren't going to pay him $13 million, almost $13 million a year. He goes Mm -hmm. to Atlanta. Um, I know Kay Nellis had a breakout year for the Saints, but he was a seventh-round pick that was a special teamer who took advantage of injuries and got a big payday, and they weren't going to pay him all that money. And then Shy yeah. Tuttle, uh, Carolina's overpaying everybody and overtrading for everything. So were you all that upset about what happened earlier in the week when uh, four defensive players got poached in a single day? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I guess the only th- thing that stung a little bit is that they went to division rivals, uh, most of them, but it wasn't surprising at all. Um, I did kind of hope they – were able to get it to work with uh, David Onyemata, and they did try. Um, they extended this contract out to give them more time to, re- to renegotiate. But I mean, look, they, the Falcons just made an offer he couldn't refuse, and something that we, you know, the Saints shouldn't and wouldn't match. Um, and as far as Shy Tuttle, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him, undrafted free agent to come in and go and get a bag. But you know, it, it was getting to that point where the Saints needed some fresh. Um, some fresh life on the defensive defensive line, and he was a part of that. Caden Ellis, you know, it would have been nice to keep him because he really stepped up last year. He was like one of their best pass rushers, um, as a you know, as an off ball linebacker. But you know, when when they uh, restructured Demario Davis, it, it told me at that point that he wasn't coming back. It just because it just wouldn't be a real spot for him with Pete Werner, you know, excelling as he has. And uh, then you got Marcus Davenport, you know, headed up to Chicago. Um, that that wasn't something I was too – I was surprised to see the money he got, but I, I was kind of happy he's gone because that, man, that was that was a tough one. You know, his his career here has been pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, you, you, met, you met Minnesota, not Chicago. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Minnesota. Uh, and it, he can take his uh, healthy half-sack production – up there for, for for the Vikings, so you know they did some other things as well. So they have the defections, but in the same breath, Mickey gets Michael Thomas, who apparently is stoked about playing with Derek Carr, gets yep. him to get that huge contract off the books, resigns him to a one-year deal that is extremely team friendly, and then in the same breath gets Jameis Winston to say, you know what. We want to redo your deal, less money for us on the books, and you can come back and be the backup. And both guys say, sure thing, Mickey, let's go. Man, if you would have told me that would have happened two months ago, I would have said you're crazy. No way that's happening. That really surprised me. The Mike Thomas thing, not so much, because it just made sense for both sides to get something done. Because, you know, we would have had to carry a lot of dead money if he was let go. He would have had to go find another team when his, you know, when his value is probably the lowest 
Lois is going to ever be. Um, so it just made sense. And, and the Saints would have needed to replace him immediately with that style of receiver if he was to be let go. So it just made sense for them to find common ground. The Jameis Winston one really shocked me because, you know, him and D.A., you know, kind of got off on a bet, was kind of hit a rough patch last year with his injuries and the whole, you know, quarterback issues. And for him to just come back on a really, really cheap deal, he didn't even really try to test the market. Um, so for him to come back, it obviously he sounded like somebody who just, you know, loves the city, loves Louisiana, uh, really enjoys the environment he's in. And, you know, really, honestly, he's really trying to get healthy also. So it just made sense for him to come back. But that really did surprise me when that happened. And that's a good spot to have Derek Carr and Jameis Winston as you wanted to. And you got Taysom Hill. Man, that's not a bad QB room at all. Definitely upgraded the QB room and uh, let the Red Rifle get overpaid to go to Carolina uh, as well. So that's that's <laughs> going to be interesting. So QB room is set. You got Michael Thomas on board, team-friendly contract there. <clears throat> I still think you need to make a move at wide receiver either in free agency or in the draft. But they weren't done because they go out and get themselves – Ryan, they, they 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 went and got themselves some big fellas like you and I. They're like, hey, let's go get some beef for the defensive line. They get the kid out of Kansas City who uh, helped them win a Super Bowl and got like three sacks from the D tackle position. And then they got themselves a member of the New York Jets. The Jets are an emerging team. The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl, and the Saints were able to get two D tackles from those uh, good AFC teams. Really good moves. Both players young. Both are ascending talents, you know, who over the years have gotten better and better at their positions. Um, so those – and the deals they got were really, you know, pretty manageable. They weren't, you know, overpaid or anything like that. So those are players that could come in, you know, either be rotational defensive tackles that could provide you good pass rush and run defense. Or they could continue to develop and become starters, you know, and be really solidified in the defensive line. And like I said, this defensive line was getting to the point where it needed some fresh talent to come in and, uh, you know, kind of spice things up because we started to see the defensive line kind of get kind of old last year. We're talking with Ryan Hidden. He's better known as That Boy Wolf on Twitter. He's part of the Saints Twitter podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. As good as those moves were, because then – it made sure that they didn't have to be pressured in the draft to take a D-tackle. They still probably will, but it's not yeah. a pressing need. Well, then they went out and got themselves one of their pressing needs. They get a guy that rushed for 17 touchdowns, led the NFL, mm. over 1,000 yards uh, rushing, a guy who can also catch the ball out of the backfield, doesn't have a ton of tread on those tires, so to speak, or he has a plenty of tread left on those tires, so to speak, because he split most of his career in Green Bay and then Detroit. What do you make of them being able to bag Jamal Williams and only having to pay $12 million over three years to do so? Oh, man, that was that was beautiful. I didn't see that one coming either. We knew they needed a running back and they was going to get one, and the running back market is flooded with talent. But for them to just strike that deal and get him at such an affordable price, you're talking about a guy who, you know, rushed for over 1,000 yards last year, 17 touchdowns. 17 touchdowns. He has a nose for the end zone. And if you look back to what one of the Saints' offenses 
biggest issues last season is when they got in the, they would move the ball, but when they got in the red zone, they couldn't do anything. You know, and you know we know about you know Elvin Kamara's legal issues, but even with or without those, he needed a fresh leg running back to come in and split carries with, so you could get the most out of Elvin Kamara also. So it's kind of twofold. It helps not only your run game, but it also helps you accentuate the talent that you have in Elvin Kamara. So that was a huge sign, and I think that really changes the offense for the better. And it's really going to, like, when you look at him with his 17 touchdowns, look, don't expect him to repeat that. But, you know, you see the talent of what he does when he's near the near the goal line. And not only that, but he could bust a couple open for some big games also. So you see that with him. You got Taysom Hill. You know, you get Mike Thomas back, who's a good red zone threat. You know, Elvin Kamara, now, you know, now you're giving, you're giving Derek Carr every reason to succeed, which is what they should do, and that's what they're doing. We'll get you out of here with this, bud. They uh, took care of running back, took care of D-tackle, restructured some deals. They continue to do so. They did so yesterday with Andres Pete. They have salary cap space. They have those draft picks. What do you think now is going to be the initiative, the focus for Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, and company with the rest of free agency and the draft? What are the positions you think they're going to target? Um, look, they still they still need some uh, need a defensive end. They need an edge rusher. Cam Jordan is you know in his mid thirties. Uh, the other side, they got you know uh, called Drake Granderson. Then they have Peyton Turner, who was a a healthy scratch towards the end of the season. So they still need help at edge. That's something they probably will address in the draft because edge rushers went off the board quick in this free agency, and they are really expensive uh, to pay for right now. You know, I heard this kind of looking at Frank Clark, not a big fan of him on or off the field. Um, so they probably focus that in the draft. They could still get another running back, you know, because like we said, you know, Elvin Kamara is looking at some legal issues. Um, they're always going to look at, Secondary, you can look at them looking at a nickel corner or safety. Um, wide receiver is still a big one. They could use another wide receiver to come in because Michael Thomas is on a one-year deal. Um, then you got the offensive line, offensive guard Pete. He's probably leaving after this season. Um, then you had some injuries on the offensive line last year, so it never hurts to bring in more depth at that you know at that position. So they've got eight picks in this draft. They really should. I know they won't, but they really should use all of them and just replenish talent, man. Bring as much young, fresh talent as you can because that helps you cap out going forward and it helps your team get better. Ryan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you guys do with the Saints Twitter podcast, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Really appreciate you for bringing me on. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All 
Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. The show is about to be done, which means the week is over. The weekend is here. I want to take a moment to thank our guests on this stormy Friday, St. Patrick's Day edition of RP3 and Company. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time Podcast. We broke down the world baseball classic like no one could do. Christian Clark from The Advocate talking the state of the Pelicans, or as I like to call them, the Pelicans. Jordy calls them the Smellicans. Pelicans or Smellicans? Which one's better? I'll take yours. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll make sure to uh, buy you a kale smoothie later because I know you're healthy. And let's give a shout out to Ryan Hinton, better known as That Boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast, talking all the moves by the Saints. Why did you grimace like that? You're a healthy young man. You showed me the other day that you were drinking some sort of smoothie thing <laughs> that was filled with f- fruits and vegetables. It was green. Yeah, but it's delicious, though. That that one is... Uh, I just assumed you were on the TB12 method because no, you do I'm love really you not. some TB12. I do love some TB12. And he's a big kale smoothie guy, so I thought for sure you'd try to live your life like he does. No, no, not in all aspects. Um not really competing at a championship level in the National Football League right not now. Not in the so National Football League, but but in radio you are. Well, that yeah. Well, uh-huh. we're, we're working uh-huh. on it. We're working, and we got there two hours coming up for you right after this. That's right, but, uh, bud. Yeah, no, and I imagine Tom. Like, you think Tom's just going to go turn into like a junk food maniac when his career's over, and he can finally like relax? No, I think he's going to look more even more anorexic. <laughs> But that's just that's just my thought. Final results of the poll question of the day. Which top three seed is on upset alert? 39% of you say Baylor will be taken down by UC Santa Barbara. 23% Xavier, 22% K-State, and 16% for Marquette. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire Dawson Islow, I'm Raymond Parsh the third. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest hosts. Dawson Isolo is next right here on The Game.